Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. And my name's Marshall. I like it. I like how you always come in with, my name's Marshall. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I like my name. Like starting lineup. Is it okay to like your name? I like my name. It's better than not liking your name. I know. I always wonder if there's people out there who are just like hating their name. Well, there's some people who go by like their middle name instead of their first name. Yeah, my brother goes by his middle name, but that was kind of always the plan. When I worked in business, what I found is there was a big generational divide too amongst like, I'd say like kind of the boomer generation and older tended to go by their middle names more often than than young people. Oh yeah? Which I found strange, yeah. And I wonder if hmm. it's because there was like more like family names, like your name was Jack because your dad and your grandpa and your great grandpas were all Jack, but you went by whatever your middle name was. I don't know. That's why my name's Tim. Timothy Elmore the second, or the second or third? The second. The second. Timothy Baxter Elmore the second. Baxter. Yes. Is that a family name? It is. Yeah. Yeah, my dad's name is Timothy Baxter Elmore. Okay. But not the second. Right. <laughs> that because that would be even more confusing. Right. Yeah. Did you ever, so when I'm doing a little bit of genealogical work, just kind of on the side, although I haven't been doing too much of it lately, but... Uh, there was a thing, too, where, like, family names, so, like, a mother's last name, like, a mother's maiden name sometimes pops in as a middle name mm-hmm. for some of the kids. So, like, my grandfather, one of his middle names was Price, and that's because that was one of the family names. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah. Co- but just, I don't know, it's just interesting that, like, you don't hear about that stuff happening as, as often. Yeah. Analia has a Lindsay's middle name. Okay. Uh, Baxter is my dad's middle name because it was my grandpa's middle name. Okay. He was Reuben Baxter. Okay. Um, I have a cousin, female cousin, who also has the name Baxter. Interesting. Brandis Baxter. Brandis Baxter. At one that point, works. Brandis Baxter Parton. Oh, wow. Three Bs. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a little bit, you know, name crazy right now because Candace and I are still in the process of figuring out what we're going to name mm-hmm. baby number two. So I have... I have family that listen to this in Arkansas who are probably cracking up right now. Um, I have an Aunt Tina okay. who married Jerry Nina. <laughs> so she's Tina Nina? Tina Nina. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So like for my, I think, yeah, I think of like my last name, like, so being Morden, I can't name my kid like Jordan or Morgan or Gordon. Like those ones are just right out. Yeah. Can you imagine a Gordon, sure. a Gordon Morden? Like just no, that's not. <laughs> not gonna work somewhere gonna... in the world. Gordon Morton is listening right now. Yeah, <laughs> you, you got a problem. Probably got a. This is the last cousin. time I'm listening to that podcast. <laughs> I'll leave. I'll leave you an iTunes review. <laughs> hey, how about we do a podcast? That sounds. Nobody wants to hear. This. Sounds like a good idea. Nobody. People, even people who are like, I like the banter. I like the way you guys. Like, even they don't like this. I think you're assuming. <laughs> Let us know if you like it. Question <laughs> question 24. Yeah. 24. I was looking at that number thinking, we're getting close to halfway through the year. Don't think that. Okay. I, why? Because, because. <laughs> Don't tell means, me what to think. Because we're getting into the middle of summer and that means fall and winter are coming again. I'm in, a, I'm in that mindset. Oh, that already? That pessimist mindset. Already? Where I'm just like, no, <laughs> we just now got it. <laughs> Question 24. Why is it necessary for Christ, 
the Redeemer to die? Good question. It is. Big question. It is. Heavy question. Yeah, which is why we spent the first five minutes talking about other things. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not like we're going to need all of our time to answer the question. We got to get the wheels turning, the juices flowing. I know. To get to that place where we can have a good conversation, Tim. That's All right. Then let's have a good conversation. All right. Let's do it. (laughs) So the first thing we're going to start with is how people have tried to answer this question Mm -hmm. that might not be the answer we would give. Sure. So we're going to talk a lot about atonement theories. Yeah. Atonement theory is simply theories around atonement. Yeah, essentially, (laughs) it's the question of why why did Christ die? Like, what was the purpose of his crucifixion? Yeah. Right? And so there is a variety of Mm -hmm. uh, theories, opinions, views on why that is. Yeah, I, I would say locally, there is, and maybe not so much like hyper-local Stratford, mm-hmm. but Southern Ontario and stretching across Canada, um, the Anabaptist tradition is really growing, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to uh, a church out of Mississauga. Um, I think it's Mississauga. Something. I think that's where the main one is. Yeah, Oakville, that that area. Yeah, yeah. So so Bruxy Cavey and the Meeting House mm-hmm. um, are Anabaptist churches that are spreading everywhere like wildfire. Bruxy would tell you he didn't have to die, hmm. right? So Bruxy's thing is just to say, um, human like sacrifices, blood for guilt, was this pagan human construct that just sort of became the way that we think. Because we think in terms of vengeance, right. and God carries that out through the sacrificial system and into atonement because it already makes sense to us. Right. And so he was speaking our language. Yeah, except in But he- it was completely unnecessary. Yeah, in, in Hebrews, uh, it says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So, I mean, maybe he just strikes that verse out of his book of Hebrews or something. I, I, I think what he would say, and, and this isn't to defend it, I just to say, what would someone of that mindset rebuttal? I think they would say, again, just trying to speak your language. Okay. Wow. But it, it's definitely a cart before the horse thing. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like an all an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God uses his word and the redemptive history to reveal himself and his plan to us. If his plan were otherwise, he would have revealed it to us. Mm. Right? It's not like God never does the surprise or unimaginable thing along the way. Right? He doesn't have to be like, well, they can't be taught and I can't be bothered to teach them, so we'll just do it their way. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a... It's, um, it's an odd thing. It is, yeah. Well, why don't we get into some of these theories? And there's there's a bunch, like, if you look up atonement theories, you know, you'll have find lists of four, of five, seven, of nine. Like, yeah. there's, there's different yeah. ways that you can subdivide some of these, but I think, uh, just kind of a, a recap on some of the major ones. Um, so the first one we can talk about is the moral influence theory. Mm-hmm. So essentially what this is is that in his life, Jesus demonstrated 
what moral living, godly living looks like in a radical way. And this culminated in his death. And it served as an example to help humanity reform themselves and improve on a moral level. Um, yeah. So as if to say, sacrifice yourself for the good of others. Yeah. And here's the ultimate example of that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Except if that sacrifice is not paying the penalty of someone's sin, then how does he benefit society by dying? Right. Well, by being a, by being a moral example. But a moral example of what? I, I don't know. Is because being put to who's death benefited? And, who's benefiting right. from him dying? Is yeah. is dying on a cross a yeah. moral yeah. advantage for society? No. Yeah, I think yeah, I think proponents of this theory would put a greater emphasis on his acts of mercy, the miracles and the healings, than they would on the cross itself. It, necessary. So, so it's, that's an atonement theory that has very that little, avoids the atonement. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and it sugarcoats humanity's depravity. Right. All we need to do is be better, and we can do that by having a better role model. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just, yeah, I, that one's that one's pretty rough. Um, there's a, a, a scapegoat theory. So Jesus is not a sacrifice for human sin, um, but rather he becomes a victim of that sin. And the crowds, they wrongly accused him of being evil, but he was proven to be innocent. Um, and Jesus is a victim who overcomes human violence so he mm-hmm. was kind of the prototypical victim of humanity's fallen nature except that no one takes his life mm-hmm. but he gives it yeah freely yeah right exactly yeah yeah that's the issue with that one um now we're kind of closing in on some more uh i would say more common more historically relevant ones uh the ransom theory right um and this is kind of sometimes held in tandem with other with other theories but essentially adam and eve sold humanity into slavery to the devil when they fell Mm -hmm. right so their sin made all of humanity captive to the devil he owns everyone and everything on earth and jesus death pays a price but that price is essentially ransom money. It's the duffel bag full of cash that goes to Satan. Left by the park bench. Yeah. Yep. And Satan accepted that payment because he didn't realize that death couldn't hold Jesus. So he got duped. Yeah. This is very popular among charismatics. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it. My issue with this one is it really overemphasizes the power of the devil. Right? The devil is not an equal with God. Right. The devil is a fallen angel. A being of of power, mm-hmm. for sure, um, that, you know, we shouldn't take lightly. But the idea that, you know, it was be- because of the fall, he owns us in a way, uh, that just doesn't seem consistent with how a lot of things play out, right? The it de- doesn't seem consistent at all with Job. No, no. Where Satan has no power. Yeah. And and even into Job, where we look at it and be like, oh no, but Satan, after he gets permission from God, does all these things to Job. No, the the book of Job is very clear to say God did these things mm-hmm. and put Job in this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Satan's job was just sort of to go whisper in his ear, um, mm-hmm. cause the the sort of torment and the struggle around it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so 
the ransom theory, like you said, gives too much power to Satan. It does too much to make Satan and God peers. Mm-hmm. And it assumes that God was not the sovereign ruler of the universe between the garden and the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not buying it. No, neither am I. Because if, if God wasn't the sovereign ruler for all that period, then he's not a sovereign God. Right. Yeah. He, he can be matched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, also just, sorry. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Also, it makes God a little, a little sketch in that he would trick Satan. Right. Right. <laughs> the deceiver was deceived. Right. The deceiver was <laughs> deceived, which would make God the ultimate deceiver. Right. Right. Uh, which is, I, I, I have a problem with that. Sure. It's yeah. almost Greek. Like when you read Greek tragedies and yeah. stuff like that, it's very Gre- very Greco tragedy mm-hmm. kind of a thing. It's the sort of thing you'd expect somebody yeah. whose last name ends in U.S. <laughs> to uh, to have written and been performed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then uh, there's Christus Victor. And I think this view actually holds some merit. Um, yep. Through his death on the cross, Christ defeated evil defeated the power of sin and death in order to free mankind. Um, it's not so much about debts being paid, but a conquering victory over the forces of evil. It's an act of love, which yes. is a big part of Christus Victor. Yes. An act of love to win victory on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Over the things that are crushing us, over the things right. that uh, are destroying and will ultimately destroy us. It's a It's a cosmic battleground where Christ uh, wins the day. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, I I think there are a lot of people listening to be like, well, sounds good. Sounds like what I've always heard. It makes sense. It fits with the character of Jesus in scripture. Um, I, I think it does find issue when it stands in isolation. Right. That's where it can become a problem. Yeah, because Christus Victor and nothing else can be problematic. Yeah, because and I think this is something that the like the listeners need to contemplate, right? Because we increasingly live in a society where, um, when it comes to different questions that are being asked, we are we are kind of herded into these camps of like, this is my stance on it, and there's no nuance, and there's mm-hmm. you know, and there's, everything is right about this perspective. And nothing is right about any other perspective. That is right. that is the political climate we live in, right? The social and cultural normative thing, right? Um, to say, you know, the party I vote for can do no wrong and can only do right. And the opposite is true of those I oppose. But Christus Victor has a lot of really good merit. I think it just falls short on its own. Yeah. Um, and I think when it comes to these theories of atonement, um, there are... There is some merit to different ones, and we can hold to a, a to multiple um, theories at the same time because there's a lot going on at the cross. I mean, even, even like we know that Christ is our example. Mm-hmm. So the idea that like Christ in his sacrificing of himself, it that you know that humbling of himself is an example for us to walk in humility, like. Yeah, that is that is consistent with scripture, but that's right. not the whole story and neither is the Christus Victor, although 
um, there is a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, and and I think I think to say there's a lot of good stuff, but it is incomplete. It, I don't want to leave people going. Where is it incomplete? <laughs> you, you said that it was, but you didn't say. the The main thing behind Christus Victor that I see is as problematic, in and of itself, as a standalone theory, is that um, the idea that Jesus would die to conquer on our behalf all of those things that trip us up, then assumes that if it weren't for the hurdles in my way. I would be good. And so it denies original sin. Right. It says, I'm good, but there are these things that come at me. And Jesus died to get rid of the things that come at me so that my goodness can show. Yeah. Um, yeah sounds nice, but it's not biblical. Right? Paul, from his mother's womb, mm-hmm. I was, you know, a sinner. And so he that we would recognize, no, sin, sinfulness is the state of the world in the state of my own heart, just removing the hurdles does nothing for me. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I does nothing is pretty strong. I think there are it, ex- it does nothing. It's not it's not effectual for salvation. No, no, there there you're right. Yeah. Cause it because the, the, the theology of Christus Victor deals with the external yep. forces, the external component to the fallenness of this world, which uh, is still a thing. It's still a victory, um, but it's but not. It's not the victory. It's not the one we absolutely not, need. So when I say nothing, I mean this, Marshall. We're not atoned for. Yes. Yeah. So it's not atonement. Yeah. So as an atonement theory, yeah, it does nothing. I know. I know. And so we come to, um, the the biggin, I guess. And and this, you know, there's different ways to kind of subdivide this. This has been called like satisfaction theory or whatever but the the common the common theory the common name for it today is penal substitutionary atonement and that is essentially where the new city catechism is going to land or psa if you're just psa down with the jargon public service announcement mm-hmm. uh penal substitutionary atonement uh christ is sent willingly and gladly to satisfy god's justice taking the place of sinners he received our punishment our penalty for sin, he absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. And so in the cross, we see the holiness of God in justice needing to be served, and we see the love of God in Christ willingly taking that on on our behalf, both those things manifested at Calvary. And in his substitution, in paying that substitution, it is an act of love that wins for us a victory, Mm -hmm. that performs an actual atonement, Mm -hmm. and culminates as an ultimate example hmm. of sacrifice for the behalf of others. Yeah. Because it's a sacrifice that is effectual and mm-hmm. not a needless death. Yes. So that's where all of these things are held to because there's some level of merit to them. But if you if you don't grab on to the substitution for the penalty of our sin, that's where they all fall short. Yeah. And and so this makes sense of all of those other things that are elements. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. So what the catechism says, I'll read the answer here. Um, the catechism says in response to the question, why was it necessary for Christ the Redeemer to die? Since death is the punishment for sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. 
by his substitutionary atoning death, he alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is something when I read that it makes me want to go, mm, like we were talking about right. the other day. But some people, <laughs> some people actually would really struggle with this answer. Right. Some people that we would consider brothers and sisters really struggle with this answer. And you know what? I'm I'm okay with that Mm. because I think it should be a struggle for us to say it's my sin that he died for. Yeah. Right. That shouldn't that that should ring with a little bit of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't mean that we explain it away because we don't like it. It means that it causes us to understand the price. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that, like, I've heard some people describe this this way of understanding the death of Christ to be, um, you know, people will call it, like, divine child abuse or something like that, something in that nature, right? You've, yeah, you're shaking your head because you've, yeah, you've heard, you've heard it before, too, right? Um, so, so, one, Christ humbled himself— yeah, Philippians chapter two. Mm-hmm. God didn't require this of him. He humbled himself and came willingly. His life was not taken; mm-hmm. it was given freely. Yeah. So, and and I would say no, when when Jesus says no one takes his life, but he offers it freely, that would include God the Father. Yeah. Right. So there's no child abuse has this thing about it where you have the defenseless mm-hmm. versus the aggressor. Right. And and although Jesus was innocent, innocence and defenselessness are not the same thing. That's right. Yeah. And so he was innocent but not defenseless. Mhm. Yeah, Christ like nothing that Christ suffered occurred apart from his own will. Right. Right. A- and and I would include that if you really struggle with this that the wrath of God being poured out on Christ seems like yeah, like this kind of child abuse or this unfair treatment like um on behalf of like god treating jesus in a way that i mean yes christ didn't deserve it but christ was on board with the plan like mm-hmm. you have to suspend like we just spent time last week talking about the importance of understanding the divinity right. of christ yeah. like it's the same with the will of god like christ possesses the will of god in the wrath of god that was poured out on christ in a sense, was kind of his own wrath, mm-hmm. right? So, sure. so he, like, he is, the, the debt has been, like, there's a debt that needs to be paid to him, and it is of such incalculable weight that the only thing in the universe that has in any, like, that has the inherent value to pay that debt is God himself, which is why this plan was determined, you know, before the foundations of the earth for Christ to take on human form, to humble himself willingly and bear this punishment uh, on our behalf. So, yeah, so when people want to throw the divine child abuse thing around, um, I would just remind them or ask them, who who do you think Jesus is? Right. Um, you have to suspend your Trinitarian belief. Yeah. To, to you have to there. become a heretic to have a problem like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and so um, we know that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Um, you know, we can be reconciled to God now because the blood of Christ has been shed on our behalf. And, and scripture is like 
full of this type of language. Like as I was reading up on these theories, like there was there were a couple kind of internet theologians who were like, yeah, this this theory never really even um, existed until you know the Reformation, which uh, is untrue. Um, partly because you can find it discussed by different thinkers and writers prior to the Reformation, but also because in Scripture itself, at the right. very beginning, uh, it is found throughout. Um, I mean, Isaiah 53, the suffering mm-hmm. servant passage, yep. pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Um, like, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like, that is... That is PSA right there. Mm-hmm. Um, in Romans 3, Paul talks about um, Christ um, being a propitiation uh, or that God put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood. First um, Peter 2.24, um, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Mm-hmm. Right, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Like he bore our sins. It wasn't just an example. It wasn't just him like winning a boxing match with Satan. It wasn't, you know, him just suffering the consequences of evil people. Like this is what happened. Um, and scripture is clear. So this isn't some kind of novelty made up by people who read too much. Yeah, and and you know what? I when you were going through that, I was thinking is there a common thread that runs through all the alternatives? Because substitution is so prevalent in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there a reason that all of these different groups would take characteristics of or portions of the atoning work of Christ and make them the thing? And, and I think... I think the reason is this. It's ugly. Penal substitution is ugly. It's the darkest side of redemption. And it's ugly because of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think that's what that's what some of these others are trying to avoid. They're trying whether or not they're trying to avoid it for their own sake. Or because in presenting the gospel to other people, they feel like they need to gloss over that because it's going to be too offensive. Whatever it is, they're, they're trying to say, no, Christianity is, is a beautiful thing. And, and Christ is the bringer of life. And, and, and God is the sustainer of all life and, and infinitely beautiful and wonderful and worthy of our worship. And so... It, it can't really be that ugly, mm-hmm. but it is. Yeah. And, and it's, it's necessarily ugly so that there can be restoration to the glory and the beauty that was intended before we ushered in sin. Um, and, and I think to avoid that is to avoid the gospel. Mm-hmm. I am a sinner in need of a savior. And uh, and we can't duck that. Yeah. We can't sweep it under the rug. We can't pretend like it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the core of Christianity. Yeah. And I think those views of the cross, those who hold and promote those those 
lesser or uh, incomplete understandings of the cross, oftentimes as a package deal, what you will find is there's also just a sugar coating, a glazing over of what sin is, how mm-hmm. offensive it is to God, what even constitutes right. sin. I mean, you know, the Bruxy who we named, right? He's not only is he off on the, the atonement on, on the cross, but I mean, he likes to call things that the Bible says are sinful, not sinful. Right. Or find a third way to just, well, we just won't talk about it so we don't hurt anyone's feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sometimes, like, because it, it, it runs through all of them. Yeah. Right? Like, the, the very first one you offered, the idea that Christ is just an ultimate example even in his death. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but no atonement, no substitution. That can often end up uh, being the case in liberal theologies or mainline theologies that yeah. are very works-driven, mm-hmm. very much uh, just sort of, we're here just to feed the the hungry and give clothes to the orphans, mm-hmm. not to preach the gospel, right? That's where that can fall. And, and it's their practice of all theology coincides with their atonement theory, mm-hmm. right? Um, in some of the... Uh, more charismatic groups, we've talked about how the ransom theory can be a thing. You'll find them praying away influences mm-hmm. instead of confessing their sin. Yeah. Right? Um, and and these are these are problems that are an atonement theory applied. Right? So you can, and I say that just because it would be easy to get too heady and be like, oh, well, this is just overthinking it. We're all kind of going the same direction. And, and. This is just what scholars talk about, and it has nothing to do with the layperson or the Sunday morning church attender. Right. But it does. Yeah. It does. It affects a, a pastor and a church that believes one way or the other. This is going to show up in the songs they sing, in the uh, sermons they preach, in the Bible studies they choose, and in the outreaches that they do into the community. Yeah. Because this determines why you believe that you exist and what it is God wants from mankind. Mm-hmm. I think it also determines what you think the biggest, what, what the problem is, right? right? Is the problem right. corruption in society? Is the problem power structures? Is the problem, you know, evil spirits that need to be bound and driven away? Mm-hmm. Or is the problem the sin that's in your heart? Right. Right. Like, what is the problem here? If things aren't working, if things aren't working, what is the issue? And the the issue is the sinfulness in the hearts of humanity, in myself and in everyone else. And that is the that is what needs to be addressed. That was the issue that needed to be resolved. And that can only be resolved through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Right. Which is why when John the Baptist and Jesus both began their ministries, their first sermons were repent mm-hmm. for the kingdom of the Lord is at hand. Yeah. Good? I'm good. My brand new Casio calculator watch. <laughs> nice. Says that it's time. <laughs> well, we can't defy the watch. So. No. no. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. See you later.